Glad your church tonight will be in probably what is the most familiar chapter in all the Bible. I ask you if you could quote a chapter of the Bible. You might say, well, no, I can't quote a whole chapter of the Bible. We bet you can. Turn to the 23rd Psalm. That's where we'll be tonight. And uh, we're going to read it in its entirety here in a minute, right? A whole chapter of the Bible. But tonight, as we look at this, and as we've discussed over and over again, the names of God reveal to us his character. As we discover or we're reminded more and more of who he is through looking at his names and his character, it ought to become easier for us to trust him. It ought to become easier for us to serve him, and it ought to become easier for us to follow him. But tonight, we're going to look at a name of God who, I say, some scholars, I have about four books that I look at primarily as I'm studying for these sermons, then add several commentaries onto that, but four books that are specifically about the names of God. Two of them don't include this name. One of them references that some scholars say this isn't really a name of God. But guess what? We're going to study it because I believe it is. The names of God reveal to us his character, and this name certainly reveals a lot to us about the character of God. But in this, we see so much of the other names of God, and the character is revealed there. For instance, in the text, we see the character of Jehovah Jireh, who is the Lord who provides. We've already studied that one. We see the character of Jehovah Shalom, the Lord is peace. We've already studied that one. We see the character of some of the names we'll study in the weeks to come, like Jehovah Rafi, the Lord's our healer. We see Jehovah Sidkenu, the Lord our righteousness. In this is also the character of Jehovah Nisi, the Lord our banner, and Jehovah Shema, the Lord who's always there. And then one of my favorite, just because it's, it's fun to say, although it's not fun to read, is Jehovah Makadishkim. See, I said I can say it. Jehovah Makadishkim. I even wrote it out phonetically so that I could tell you we're going to have to put it on the screen the night that we say it because it just looks like a bunch of jumbled up letters, okay? We're going to get to that, but Jehovah Makadishkim is the Lord who sanctifies you. Within the 23rd Psalm, we see all of these character traits, but in this text, David reveals that if we want any of these things, if we want the benefits of Jehovah Jireh or Jehovah Shalom or any of these other names that we've talked about or will talk about, we first have to recognize God as Jehovah Rohi. Jehovah Rohi. That's the Lord, our shepherd. That's what we're looking at in the 23rd Psalm. Read it with me if you need to look at it there in the 23rd Psalm, beginning in verse 1. The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. He makes me to lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside the still waters. He restores my soul. He leads me in the paths of righteousness for his name's sake. Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup runs over. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Let's pray together. Father, we do thank you for your word, and we thank you for your, the truths that are in your word, the promises that are in your words. And Father, I just pray that you'd show us tonight how it applies to us here. Draw us closer to you as we learn more about who you are as Jehovah Rohi. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. 
I remember as just a young child misunderstanding the first verse of this psalm. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. You know, just as a little kid, I just, in hearing it, see, this is why it's important to be able to read. As a child, in hearing it, I thought it was saying, the Lord's my shepherd, and I shouldn't want him, right? The Lord is my shepherd, and I, I, I shall not want, you know, I shouldn't want him. The Lord's my shepherd, and I thought, that just doesn't make sense. It's important to learn to read. It's important when you do read and when you write, here's something even more important, when you write. I would say the young people need to know this, but the older people do too, because I see your Facebook posts and, and I read your text messages. Punctuation is important, right? Punctuation can completely change the meaning of what you're sending out, okay? So punctuation's important. Look at the first verse. The Lord is my shepherd, semicolon. I shall not want. In the New King James Version, and maybe the rest of them, but I know here in the New King James Version, because I'm looking at it, we have a semicolon here between these two phrases. That semicolon means we have two independent clauses. Just to get technical on you, it means we've got two different clauses that could be independent sentences. The Lord is my shepherd. That's a complete sentence. I shall not want. That's a complete sentence. But because the semicolon's there, we know they're related. And we know the second is dependent upon the first. You see, that may be the most important thing you hear tonight before we get to any of the rest of the 23rd Psalm is that the second line of verse 1 is dependent upon the first line of verse 1. You could say it like this. The Lord is my shepherd, therefore I shall not want. Or you could say it like this. Because the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. Several other translations put it different ways, like the Holman Christian Standard Bible. If you have one of those, it says, The Lord is my shepherd, there is nothing I lack. I like that, don't you? The New International Version says, The Lord is my shepherd, I lack nothing. But probably my favorite translation of verse 1, Psalm 23, verse 1, comes from the New Living Translation. And it says this, The Lord is my shepherd, I have all that I need. The Lord is my shepherd, I have all that I need. In other words, I have all that I need only because the Lord is my shepherd. When we recognize God as Jehovah Rohi, we get all the rest of his character traits as a bonus. So let's look at the text, the rest of it, and I just want to say this. I know that as we go through the 23rd Psalm, I might miss a lot. My goal tonight is not to give a comprehensive lesson on the 23rd Psalm. Tim did that in Sunday school a while back, I think maybe while we were on video doing Sunday school. Uh, I'm not sure Brother Eric's done it before. I did it with the youth upstairs a few years ago. I think I spent six weeks on the 23rd Psalm, one week per verse. You could do even more. You could probably make it a 12-week study, and we don't have 12 weeks tonight, I don't think. We just got a little bit of time. So my goal is not to provide a comprehensive study of the 23rd Psalm. It's to show you Jehovah-Rohi in the 23rd Psalm. So let's look at what David tells us about Jehovah-Rohi as we look here. We've already looked at the first verse, but let's look at it again. He says the Lord is 
my shepherd. Jehovah Rohi is personal to the individual. As you notice, this is a compound name of God. Jehovah, the personal God to the nation of Israel, the most personal name of God to the nation as a whole. And, you know, you didn't have to do anything special in order to receive the blessings of Jehovah except be born a Jew. To be born a member of the nation of Israel, you fell under the covenant and therefore received the blessing of having Jehovah as your God. He, Jehovah is the personal name of God to the whole nation. But that's not so when we add Rohi on there. Because David doesn't say Jehovah Rohi is our shepherd. He says Jehovah Rohi is my shepherd. He says he is my personal shepherd. He says it's a decision that I have to make. It's not a decision anybody else can make for me. It's not a decision my mama can make. It's not a decision my daddy can make. It's a decision I have to make. Doesn't matter how I was raised. Doesn't matter how anything else. Doesn't matter how I'm affected by anything else. I have to make the decision that God is my shepherd. God's interested in the good of the group. He's interested in the good of the whole. He's interested in the good of Israel. He's interested in the good of the church. But he's interested in your individual good. And he's interested in my individual good. You know, John quotes Jesus talking about the shepherd. And Jesus talks about the shepherd leaving the 99 to find the one, right? The group's important, but the individual is just as important. Notice something else about this personal shepherd. He says, the Lord is my shepherd. He is actively now, David says. Many scholars believe David is writing this looking back on his life and seeing how God's led him throughout his life. And David doesn't say, you know, I can see times when the Lord was my shepherd. He doesn't say, you know, if I really straighten my act up, I can see how the Lord will be my shepherd in the future. He doesn't say, you know, you remember that time when I really messed up with Bathsheba and all that kind of stuff? Well, he stopped being my shepherd then. David doesn't say any of that. David says, the Lord actively is, in the present tense, my shepherd. Not I hope he'll be, he is. And it reminds me of Psalm 46, verse 1, which tells us this, the Lord is our refuge and strength, an ever-present help in times of struggle. The Lord is our shepherd now. Not something we have to wait for, not something we have to long for. When we submit our lives to Jehovah-Rohi, he is a personal, present shepherd now. That's the first thing David shows us. And I promise I don't have points for every single line of the psalm. It just so happened that the first two lines are my first two points. He says, the Lord is my shepherd. The second point, I shall not want. Do you realize how much is wrapped up in that phrase? You see, to really understand this phrase, we have to go back to, to the first line, the Lord is my shepherd, Jehovah-Rohi, and see what does the word Rohi mean? You might say, well, it must mean shepherd. Well, in a way, but the Hebrew word, the actual definition of the Hebrew, Hebrew word Rohi means to feed or to lead to pasture. That's certainly the job of the shepherd. The primary idea here is that the, the, behind the word rohi is that this is the individual who takes the sheep to where the food is. 
seems like a pretty straightforward thing. As a matter of fact, if you like me and you like to eat, you say, well, I really like the Lord to be my shepherd. You're going to leave me where the food is, right? But that's not what we're talking about. He says, I shall not want because the Lord feeds me physically and spiritually. But there's even more to that. And to really understand it, we got to go a little further. And so I kept trying to find a way to say all this to sound really spiritual. To sound really, you know, like, oh, that guy, you can tell he went to seminary. He really knows something. And well, I couldn't think of a good way to say it. So I looked up in one of my books. It was written by Dr. Tony Evans. And I just love how Dr. Evans puts things the way you can understand it. And so I just want you to know I'm reading this from a guy with a doctorate degree. He's smart. He's a lot smarter than me. Here's what he has to say about sheep. Because we're talking about a shepherd, so we're talking about sheep. He says, the first thing you need to know about sheep is that they're the dumbest animals of all created animals. The first thing you know, need to know about sheep is that they're the dumbest of all created animals. I couldn't find a holier way to say that. So I just quoted him. Now you realize why God refers to us as sheep, right? When you think about our lives and what we do, you realize why he refers to us as sheep. Can you imagine what he thinks about when he looks down and he sees us? And he sees what we're doing. In Isaiah chapter 53, verse 6, the prophet, in a very familiar verse that you know, he demonstrates the nature of sheep when he says, All we like sheep have gone astray. We've turned everyone to his own way, and the Lord has laid on him, talking about the coming Messiah, the iniquity of us all. Isaiah compares us to that less than an less than intelligent animal. All we like sheep have gone astray. We need a shepherd because we all want to go our own direction. We all want to do our own thing. And so look what the shepherd does. Remember, we need a shepherd so that we can say, I shall not want. Look how the shepherd meets these needs. In verse 2, he makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside the still waters. Verse 3, he restores my soul. I learned through my studies, uh, because I don't know that much about sheep, but I did learn that they only lay down when they're full. If the sheep are hungry, they're up and moving about, kind of like me, right? You're up moving about to the kitchen cabinet to see what you can find, or to the refrigerator. The sheep are up moving around, looking for something to eat. So the shepherd would lead them to a green pasture where they could find plenty to eat. They don't have to be up all day eating and just completely wearing themselves out. They can get their fill and they can lay down. And another thing about sheep, though, you got to watch them. If they lay down too long, they can end up getting suffocated and rolled over. The shepherd had to be there where he could get them up. The shepherd's got a lot of work to do in the green pasture. Not only does he meet their physical need for food and rest, we move on, and, and he says, he leads me beside the still water. You probably know that sheep won't drink from moving water. We say those picky sheep, they ought to take what they get. Well, no, it's a safety hazard. Because of their wool, if they were to fall in and get too close and stumble, the wool soak up all the water, and then guess what? They're a lot heavier, and they fall in, and they drown. So the shepherd would lead them to still water, to 
quiet water. Sometimes he'd have to take and dig out a channel so that water would flow into a pool where they could safely drink. So he's not just looking out for a physical need, he's looking out for their safety as he does all this. In other words, when the Lord's our shepherd, he leads us to environments we can handle. That's an interesting way to put it. That doesn't always mean they'll be pleasant, but it'll be an environment we can handle knowing he's nearby. Green pastures and still waters lead to something else. He says he restores my soul. Here's an important lesson. The green pastures and the still waters are not the destination. See, it may be a, it's a temporary stopping off place. Because the green pasture, they're going to graze it over. It's going to dry up. You know, the waters, they're going to have to find some more water. They're going to have to keep moving. The green pasture and the still water is just to stop along the way. He leads the sheep from place to place for a particular reason. And as a result, or he does it in order so that the souls can be restored as we look at this as an analogy for us, and we continue on our journey with him. So we summarize all that to say that David knew God as Jehovah-Rohi and that he would meet all the needs of his life, all the necessities of his life. Would he meet all his wants? No. But oftentimes the sheep would want something, the shepherd would say, uh-uh, you got to come back over here. He'd meet all his necessities of life. The next thing we want to look at is how he leads and he sends folks to follow behind. He says there in verse 3, the second part of verse 3, he leads me in the paths of righteousness for his namesake. I have heard verse 3b, the second part of verse 3, taught as an independent lesson, and that's okay. I've probably done that myself, taught it as an independent lesson. I've heard verses 4, 5, and 6 taught as three independent lessons. I've already told you, I've taught verses four, five, and six as independent lessons. But from verse 3b to the end of the psalm, this all goes together. He leads me in the paths of righteousness for his name's sake. Where are we going as he leads us? See, I mean, it's, it's okay to break them up into individual lessons. There's a lot to learn in each verse. But when we look at the big picture, we see something that we might miss if we look at them individually. It says, he leads me in paths of righteousness. Where's the first place David remembers him taking him? Right through the valley of the shadow of death. That's what he says. He leads me in paths of righteousness for his name's sake. Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil for you're with me. What is David doing as he walks through the valley of the shadow of death? He's following the shepherd. He's following the shepherd. We think about the disciples on the boat and the storm comes up and, of course, Jesus walks out to them on the water. What were they doing when the storm came up? They were doing exactly what God told them to do. Sometimes we come upon storms in our lives. We walk through valleys in our lives when we're in the will of God, when we're following what God wants us to do. We often hear this verse at funerals. Heard it at a funeral just the other day. 
And that preacher said something that I knew, but I'd never quite thought of it in this wording. He said, this is not a verse for the dead. This is a verse for the living. This is a verse for the living. Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I'm not sitting in the valley of the shadow of death wallowing in my misery. I'm walking through it following the leading of the shepherd. Remember how we got there. The path of righteousness. So I did a little homework on what does this word path mean? It's a well-worn trail. What does that mean? Somebody's been there before. Somebody's been through there before. See, if the trail, if it's a path that goes through there, it means the other person didn't stop. They didn't get bogged down. Somebody else made it through the same situation before with the shepherd leading them, and he'll lead us too. And that ought to encourage us when we go through valley experiences that we can look and say, look, I'm following the path. Somebody else has been here before, and I know he'll lead me out too. The only way to get to the next mountaintop was through the valley. And David understood from his own life experience that valley experiences happen even when we're following the shepherd. We move on to verse 5. He says uh, there in verse 5, you prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup runs over as we follow the shepherd. He prepares a table before us in the presence of our enemies. Heard several different interpretations of this. One that I was reading says, you know, what is this all about? Said, well, he, he would prepare, he'd bring them to the table, the field. The enemy's lurking in the wood line. The sheep are out here grazing in the presence of their enemies. The wolves, everybody else is prowling in the wood line. But they can eat there with the enemy watching because the shepherd's standing there with his rod ready to beat down the enemy if he has to. God isn't scared of the enemy. God's already beat the enemy. As one commentator put it, in the presence of Jehovah-Rohi, we're safe from our enemies. And we need to remember that. Not only does he feed us in the presence of our enemies, but he anoints our head with oil. We've already established the fact that sheep were not that smart. They were not that intelligent. And so oftentimes the sheep would go into a thicket looking for berries, and they'd get stuck or they'd get scratched up, and they, they would, they, they'd have these places that could get infected if not treated. And so the shepherd would have to check every sheep every day, and he would anoint those places with oil so that they would not get infected and the sheep would not get sick. He had to inspect them. When we trust God as Jehovah-Rohi, we follow him in those paths of righteousness, and he gets us through the dark times of life. He meets our needs even when the enemy's lurking by. And those sheep don't even know they got hurt. Tells us the shepherd meets needs we don't even know we had. If we follow him through the paths of righteousness. And one last thing. David noticed something else happened when he trusted God as Jehovah Rohi. He says, surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life. And I'll dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Tony Evans says, God's got two sheepdogs. They're named Goodness and Mercy. 
and the shepherd's leading out there. Because you can't herd sheep, apparently. You have to lead sheep. And the shepherd is out in front, going down that path of righteousness. And the sheep are following the shepherd as he goes. And then you got the sheepdog back here. They got jobs. They're keeping the sheep in line. They're also the rear guard, so to speak, from the enemies that may lurk up. But knowing these two sheepdogs are back there ought to keep the sheep, like I said, in line. Who are they? They're goodness. What does the Bible teach us about the goodness of God? It teaches us a lot. But it teaches us in Romans chapter 8, verse 28, that God causes all things to work together for good of those who love God to those who are the called according to his purpose. To love God, according to Jesus, means to obey God. So when we obey God, when we obey the shepherd, when we submit to him and allow him to shepherd our life, goodness follows. You may be going through the valley of the shadow, but goodness is right back here coming up. The other one's mercy. So I said, well, let's make sure we understand what mercy is. This is God's special goodness towards sinners. It's what we don't deserve. It's his forgiveness. It's his mercy that keeps us from getting what we deserve. The result of all of this, we follow the shepherd. We allow goodness and mercy to keep us in line back here behind us. And he says, I'll dwell in the house of the Lord forever. I was caught off guard by one of the commentators and had to do a little more research on this. You thought we were through. But one of them said, you know what? That doesn't mean eternity. Said the 23rd Psalm's not talking about eternity. That's what one commentator said. So I said, well, I got to see if they're right. So I had to look this up. So I looked up the Hebrew word that is translated forever. Because forever seems pretty eternal to me. I don't know about you, but... The New King James translators translated it forever. But the Hebrew word translated here as forever is really better translated for the length of my days. Think about it. I'm not worried about anything past the length of my days because I know what's going to happen after the length of my days are over. You know, I'm not worried about... I'm not worried about having to follow any path or do anything else once the length of my days are over. That's what we're focused on. Here's what David's saying. Because I submit to God as Jehovah-Rohi, because I know he's the shepherd that leads me and guides me, if only I will submit to him. I know that I'll spend every day of my life basking in the mercy and the goodness of God. If only... I'll submit to him as my shepherd. The Lord is my shepherd. I have all that I need. All of life's necessities met. Help on our best days and on our worst days. And even those needs we didn't know we have are met. If only we submit to him as Jehovah-Rohi, the Lord, our shepherd. Is there anything before we go? If not, if you'll stand and we'll be dismissed with a word of prayer.